Mm. I have a whole list of concepts that I bring in. And then as I'm listening to the track, then I'll think about what it feels like. I'll make lists of, of words that relate to this title. Or if I'm with an artist and I'll be like, what keeps you up at night? What's going on in your life? Try to find something real. If you're writing a love song or you're writing an emotional kind of song, I think it's important to have some reality in there. Mm. And a lot of times when there's not like a seed of truth in it, I feel like audiences can smell a rat. I like to use what I call HQ filler when it comes to lyrics, which is high quality (laughs) filler. There are go-to words or phrases that are familiar, that are easy to sing along to, that we, Mm. we all know and love. If every word in the song is too out there, then you're mm. going to lose your audience. Mm. So you have to keep it digestible and relatable. And then you can like throw in some zingers. Phonetics is really important as well. I like to make sure that the lyrics that I'm singing are singing the way that I would speak it. I wouldn't say singing in the way I speak it. I would say right. singing the way I speak it. Right. And right. so I want to make sure that the word speak is going to fall on the important mm. note, on the money note. It's not speed by the important word in the phrase if the cadence is too fast or busy. I've been doing a lot of kind of song doctoring recently where an artist will bring me a song that's like mostly there, but not mm-hmm. quite. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go through each line and make sure that it it makes sense. And mm-hmm. that the, the tenses are correct, keeping the consistency uh, of the story. So that sure. when you read it on paper, it's like, okay, I understand what's going on. Uh, and that's not to say that you can't like get poetic and and kind of cryptic there is a magic that comes to being able to sort of insert your own interpretation of what the artist is saying Mm. but in pop music it's important to clearly understand what the story is especially if you have a great story this episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. What's going on? Welcome to the new music business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book, third edition, coming out very, very soon. Today, Wow, such a treat. My guest is Bonnie McKee. She is a singer, a songwriter, an artist, an actress, a director, all of it. She wears so many different hats. Uh, She's most well-known for her songs that she's written, including Katy Perry's California Girls, Teenage Dream, Last Friday Night, Part of Me, Wide Awake, my personal favorite, Roar. She also co-wrote Dynamite, Tao Cruz. She's co-written songs with Kesha and Britney Spears and Kelly Clarkson and Cher and Christina Aguilera, Adam Lambert. The list goes on. Actually, she has over 100 cuts. That means 100 songs that she has written that have been officially released. She has written 10 singles that have reached number one. Ladies and gentlemen, 10 singles that have reached number one on the charts She sold more than 30 million copies worldwide. She released her song, American Girl, in 2013, and then independently released an EP, Bombastic, in 2015, and is now releasing some more music under her artist project as well. In this episode, we spent a lot of our time talking about what it is to be a songwriter in the pop music industry, and even country. She talks about country sessions as well, and how the sessions work. So if you are an aspiring songwriter or an established songwriter, you're going to learn a lot from this. And she talks about the defined roles that you have in the sessions and how kind of the industry is working these days when it comes to uh, royalties and breakdowns and splits and producer points and songwriters and how the payment is working and how that's shifted over the last few years. And how publishing deals work. So if you're interested in the songwriting industry whatsoever, this is definitely the episode for you. I know you're going to love this episode. Listen to the very end. She has an amazing answer to what it means to make it in the new music business. So fortunate to have her on this episode. 
As always, please subscribe to the show, follow the show, like it, however you're listening to it right now, just hit pause, hit that subscribe button, and give us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Those really help, and I love reading the reviews. If you're listening on YouTube, give a comment. I try to get back to everybody in all those comments. Find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Ari's Take. Find Bonnie McKee on TikTok. We talk a lot about her TikTok on this episode. Find her on TikTok and Instagram, and everywhere else you can find music. You can find me at Ari Herstand on Instagram and Twitter. Visit Ari'sTake.com, get on that email list, and that's where you're going to get the most up-to-date information about the new music business. We send our regular emails there. Go to Ari'sTake.com, get on that email list. All right, let's kick into the show. Bonnie McKee, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I, I think I'm catching you at an interesting time. I... Um, I've been seeing that you've been going to film festivals. You're like a filmmaker now. I, you've been like, what is it? You've won over 50 awards on this, uh, your first short film ever. And you've like from f- festivals all over the world. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's insane. Um, in quarantine, I was kind of sitting around and it felt like the the music industry kind of shut down. I mean, I did a lot of Zoom sessions and stuff, but honestly, mm-hmm. I was just a little bored. And I had always wanted to see if I could direct. You know, I have a heavy hand in my music videos and stuff, but... Um, I had never written a script and done the whole thing. So I just thought I'd experiment. First, it was supposed to be like a um, like something for my acting reel because um, I wanted to get back into that. Hmm. And then I started writing a scene and was like, I don't know. I think this is kind of a standalone story. So I made a little short film, just a skeleton crew in my house and my boyfriend's house. And mm-hmm. um, I had no idea what I was doing. There's like a whole <laughs> there's a whole strategy to festival stuff. And I didn't know anything about it. And so I just submitted to every festival that seemed relevant and um, got into a lot of them. And I ended up winning 53 awards. So um, I'm very proud of that. Thank you. And, you know, there's a lot of little ones. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of like small kind of like hometown uh, hero (laughs) uh, sort of festivals. But um, I did get into four Oscar qualifying festivals. Didn't win in any of those, which would have put me in the Oscar pool. But um, still very proud to have participated. That's great. Um, and is this something that you're thinking of continuing to pursue in addition to songwriting? Are you are you veering? Are you straddling these lines? Are you leaning mm-hmm. one way or the other? Yeah, I'm kind of straddling the line. Um, I I want to turn the short film into a series. Um, it's nice. just basically auto, semi autobiographical. Um, you know, of course, sensationalized a little bit about what it's like to be a woman and a recovering addict in the cutthroat music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would obviously write all of the music for that um, and hopefully star in it, but you never know. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I want to kind of combine my two loves of film and TV and, and, and music. Amazing. I, uh, you know, it's it's not surprising that uh, the short film was winning all these awards. Just by looking at your TikTok, it's clear that you have a handle and a grasp on amazing short form storytelling. Uh, I especially Thank like you. the uh, the hitchhiker one where you kidnapped some dude, <laughs> a hitchhiker, and then um, you did uh, you basically indoctrinated him into a, a a cult with a blood oath, and uh, you know you prevented him from escaping. And then in the end, not to give anything away, but you you ate him. So uh, it was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was really. Thank Thank you so much. I, I had so much fun with that. Yeah, I'm really enjoying TikTok. I was really kind of mm-hmm. late to the game, but I love it. I feel mm-hmm. like it's such a brilliant tool for creators and musicians, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get to kind of flex my directorial muscles in a little teeny tiny way. But yeah. it's really fun. And I, I love to edit too. So it's fun. <laughs> It's great. And it's also like we use it as kind of an educational platform. And so, you know, I'll do like, you know, educational videos for um, artists out there and just the general in the music industry. But I like how you kind of show uh, you have some of these videos that like, I bet you didn't know I wrote these songs and, you know, cut to Katy Perry and, and cut to Kesha and cut to, um, you know, Tao Cruz Dynamite and all of that. And it's it's fun. And that's like it's still like the short form storytelling because it's like the setup where people are like scrolling. It's like, oh, wow, I learned something. This is actually really interesting. And then you kind of go down this rabbit hole, especially people that don't know much about the music industry. It's just like, wait a minute. This is like, this is the songwriter behind these songs. And that's what were some of the reactions that you got to some of those videos that that kind of surprised you? You know, it's funny. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that some of the big pop stars don't write their own songs. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, I was lucky working with people like Katie and Kesha and, and Tayo. 
um, that they are amazing songwriters in their own right. And mm -hmm. all of them have written for other artists as well. Um, so it's really just like having another great co-writer in the room that I don't have to worry about pitching the song. I just know they're going to cut it, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, people, there's a lot of talk about ghostwriting, which is really not a thing. Um, we're all credited. All you have to do is go on Spotify and click the three little dots and look at the credits. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I was surprised at how many people didn't realize that. Um, but, you know, I guess I think, I think nowadays songwriters and producers behind the scenes are more forward facing. I feel like people, because of that feature, um, mm -hmm. thanks Spotify, um, you can really, yeah. you know who's behind the songs, you know. And Spotify actually came out with a pretty cool uh, playlist that is written by Bonnie McKee is the name of the playlist. And this is crazy. I didn't know, you have 107 cuts. That's that's amazing and unbelievable. Did you know that it was that many when, until Spotify made that playlist? I mean, it's cuts. I don't know. I mean, I've written thousands of songs. Of course. So, I mean, it's right. nice that some tiny fraction of the work that I've done has actually seen right. the light of day. Um, yeah, yeah. But no, I, I didn't realize that. And, you know, things happen all the time where I'm like, oh, someone cut that. I had no idea. So let's talk about that a little bit because... Um, when you get into a session and um, let's say it's a session without an artist, like without a Katy Perry or a Kesher or a big artist where you know, oh, this is a song that's going to be for them and they're going to hopefully cut it and release it. Um, what's the approach for those sessions? Do you have an artist in mind that you're writing for? Are you just trying to write a great pop song that you'll pitch or kind of step me through that process of how those sessions work? Writing for pitch sucks. I really don't like it. Okay. <laughs> um, it's really more of like a process of meeting new writers and producers and um, kind of seeing if you gel, seeing if you have a vibe. And mm -hmm. um, so that part of it is fun. But as far as like, you know, every time I write a song, I'm putting my heart and soul into it. And so uh, there's really no guarantee that that's going to ever see the light of day. And mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about releasing a bunch of demos of things that I've written because I'm like, I mean, that's really what Sia did. And Sia's mm -hmm. been a huge inspiration to me as far as, you know, a woman who's been behind the scenes coming forward. Um, but yeah, it's kind of exhausting. Um, sometimes the label will put us in a room and be like, we're looking for something for the Jonas Brothers or we're looking for something for Ariana or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and some some artists are more likely to take a song from the outside and others are just like a complete waste of time. <laughs> mm, Where it's like, okay. I know this artist doesn't take outside songs or I know this artist has a team that they work with regularly. Like, why would they, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But, you know, we, we do it anyway. You never know. You might stumble across something great that, you know, write them a song they can't refuse. Yeah. Um, but a lot <laughs> of the time it's really it's really just like dating. <laughs> it's like dating songwriters and producers. Okay. And then, well, that's interesting because then if you do uh, pitch the song to the artist and they do decide they want to cut it, do they, do you get back into the room with the artist? Do they just cut it on their own? Do they rewrite it? Do they get writing credit? How does that all work? It depends. Um, sometimes, depending on the artist, if they mm -hmm. want to rewrite some stuff, then I'll, I'll go back in the room with them and rewrite some stuff with them to okay. kind of tailor fit them a little more. Sure. Um, and you know, if they, if they don't write, then we'll just, uh, some, I, I really like to vocal produce, um, because mm. I feel like the way that you pronounce words and the phrasing and everything is very important. And I've yeah. definitely given songs to artists and had them come back and be like, this is like the way that they phrase this or the timing makes it a completely different melody. And like, I painstakingly go through my melodies and my rhythms and make sure that they, you know, there's a, there's a pattern there. Like I really subscribe to the the Swedish school of thought um, mm. when it comes to symmetry and melodies. Mm. And so that can get really easily lost to an untrained ear. So I like to be there when they cut the vocal, but I don't always have a choice. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, and like with K-pop groups and stuff like that, like I, I'm never in the room for that. Like it's just gets sent off and then all of a sudden it comes out and I'm like, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um right the swedish uh, school of thought i was just reading the song machine where they they set you through the whole process from dennis pop back in the day and and um mm -hmm. all of that that's um so with the uh, and i don't know if this is a myth uh but i was hearing from dan wilson um who when he said he worked with sia and every time she goes into the booth she changes the melody um and so it's just kind of like we're just going to take the take that kind of works but 
the melody isn't necessarily as concrete as you'd think mm -hmm. in the writer's room. Do you, uh, have you ever mm -hmm. kind of worked with artists where it has been like, like that? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's really like that in Nashville, like melody oh. is the last thing anybody cares about. I sure. found, um, because I've tried to be very, you know, crack the whip about, um, melody stuff and rhythm and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and then we'll be singing it all day and then someone will go in the booth, sing it and they just sing something totally different. And I'm like, wait, that's <laughs> <laughs> like, I know that we care about storytelling and lyrics and that's really my first love is, is lyrics and stuff like that's, that's kind of my um, specialty. Mm -hmm. But, um, the longer I've done this, the more important I realize melody and, and cadence, it, how, mm. how important that is and what a huge difference that makes. Yeah. Have you done many country sessions? I mean, yes, I've been to Nashville a million times, never had a country cat in my life. And okay. I would think that because I'm a lyricist that I would yeah. get some, some Nashville cats, but I've never had a Nashville cat and I'm like a little butthurt about it. <laughs> Someday. Well, I mean, you've done, you've done all right in the pop, pop realm. Um, so I guess what is, yeah. How do those sessions uh, operate differently? A pop session versus a country session? Is it other than kind of like the yeah lyrics versus melody or the chorus has come first or how, how are they structured? You know, it's the, it's a really different world. Um, like songwriting is a nine to five in Nashville, which is mm. so cool. Like everybody starts, well, I mean, not nine, but a lot of people start at nine, but I'm like, sure. can we just like make it 10? Because <laughs> that's like nine is like the crack of dawn to me. Sure. Um, but you know, you start at 10 and usually people come in with concepts already ready to go. And also that genre is, is very specific and pretty limited in like what kinds of rhythms you can do, what kinds of words make sense and are actually mm -hmm. going to get cut by a country artist mm. um so it's a lot simpler and also the writers in nashville are incredible like i i'm a lot of times the only lyricist in the room in, in pop sessions and so it's kind of a, a heavy burden to bear mm -hmm. um and so it's really lovely to be in a room with other writers who value storytelling as much mm -hmm. as i do um so it's really all about the story the people are so sweet and friendly and everybody's done by six o'clock and goes home and, you know, has <laughs> dinner with their family and says their prayers and goes to bed. You yeah, know? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Right, right. Um, and now contrast that to an L.A. pop session. How do those work? Um, start time is is usually 1 p.m., which is okay. great because that means I get to have a life before my session. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it'll... There's usually a, a track done or at least mapped out, um, mm. whereas in Nashville, it's like everyone brings an acoustic guitar and kind of figures it out as we go. Mm. And in pop music, because like the track is so much more important in the genre, um, you know, there's there's like usually a folder of vibes ready to go. And then I do what they call top line, which is mm -hmm. the, the melody and the lyric. Um, and so I'll listen to a track and see, you know, does it feel happy? Does it feel sad? Is it party time? And try to figure out, you know, a title that matches the sound and the vibe of the track. Mm. Um, sometimes we start from scratch. It's just usually it takes longer. Mm -hmm. um, so if I only have one day with with a producer or an artist, then I prefer to have a, a track kind of already mapped out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so we just go in and fuck around and... <laughs> sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not but it's, yeah. it really is kind of kind of a numbers game but mm. if i feel like i have something that has potential i very rarely only take have it done in a day and i mm. feel like that's something that happens a lot um in pop music and i feel like i feel like the genre has suffered in recent years from that where everything is kind of phoned in um mm. everyone's like oh we wrote a song in a day. like yeah i can write a song in a day but like is it the best version of that song Usually I need to drive around with it in my car and sleep on it and think about it and dream about it. And then I come back and tailor it and trim the fat and it gets better. It makes a difference. You mm -hmm. can edit something to death where you can like <laughs> overthink something. But for me, I like to spend like, you know, I mean, ideally like from concept to like finished and ready to mix, mm -hmm. I'll spend a couple weeks per song. Mm. I never wrote a song. I, I never wrote a hit in a day. Oh, that's very encouraging. Except for Dynamite. Except oh, for really? Dynamite. That was, okay. That yeah. was just a flip. But also, I only wrote the hook on that, so. Okay, because I saw that TikTok where you're explaining all the, the uh, lyrics from Dynamite that didn't make the cut. Was that real or did you make that up? No, it's all real. It's real. I mean, okay. all, of the, all of the TikToks that I do um, doing alternative lyrics, 
are mm-hmm. from my original notebooks. And I've wow. had people ask me like, Oh, did you just like rewrite that? Like, no, nah, I, I know I got time for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have like several, several bins of notebooks. Yeah. Um, and so I go through and try to find them. And there's a, there's a few hits that I've written that I just like, can't find it. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Sure. So I've been like painstakingly like labeling them since I started doing the TikTok. So it's easier for me to just find it and do it. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all, it's all real. <laughs> That's fun. That's great. So are there defined roles when you get into a session? Like you said, you're a top liner, you're the lyricist. And then is there a, a driver, a producer in there? And then sometimes the, the artist would be in there. Is, do you know the defined roles when you get into a room? Um, yeah, I, I usually, you know, your public, that's what publishers are supposed to be for, um, okay. where they sort of curate the room for you, where mm. it's like, okay, we've got a great lyricist, we've got a great melody person, and we've got a great producer. Um, but I've definitely been put in rooms where it's like, oh, like, we both, like, there's not a producer in the room. And they were like, mm. um, how, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I also produce, I don't, you know, I don't mm. push the button so much, but I'm more of an, a producer in the old school sense where, um, you know, I do a lot of arranging and I have a lot of ideas about mm-hmm. sounds and drum patterns and all that kind of stuff. But I'm rarely uh, credited for that. Mm. I think primarily because I'm a woman mm. um, and because there are plenty of male top liners that go in the room and, and co-produce the way that I do. And then mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, yeah, like he's he's a producer on it. And then when I'm like, hey, so remember when I came up with all of the different like lead lines and this and the riff and the bass and the this and yeah. the that it's like yeah but you're just like a top liner so like <laughs> and by the way top like producers get paid if they use the song producers get paid a producer fee they right. also these days will get co-writing so they'll get publishing and they'll get production fees mm-hmm. and then they'll also get points on the mm-hmm. master mm-hmm. and as a top liner i just get publishing Mm-hmm. And so suppose like, you know, somebody gets sued for the song or something like that. It was too close to something like I'm not going to get anything. Right. It's really insane. And like, mm. I know that songwriters, top liners um, have been having have been charging fees more recently. I've been hearing more and more about that, huh. which is really how it should be, because I work for free. It's free labor. Yeah. I mean, right. I've, been, I've been doing this for 15 years and I, yeah. I've the only time I've ever gotten a fee is if. Um, you know, I'm doing something for Google or I'm doing something for Disney and it's like, sure. you know, because the, they don't know any better. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know well, they can get us for free. <laughs> <laughs> so even like the writing camps, have you been to many writing camps where it's like a Rihanna writing camp or something like that? You're not being paid necessarily to be there. You're just there and hoping that they're going to cut one of the 150 songs that have been made during this camp or something. Not getting paid. No. And okay. the producers don't get paid either unless they're, unless the song gets cut. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's free labor. Hmm. And it's it's really insane. Yeah, I mean, I want to unpack that a little bit of of you don't, you're not getting the production credit. um, And how like, and you it's it's very clear. I mean, the the crazy statistic out there is just like what there's only 2% of uh, producers are women that are credited on some of these like, massive hits and and all of that. is this something that is just because it's just accepted more in the industry that if there's a man working on the track and pushes for a producer credit, he's going to get it? Whereas if there's an established uh, woman songwriter, then it's just there, it's brushed over. Is this something that the publishers need to fight for more? Do the managers need like, where's the breakdown here? And when where's the advocacy that where, where does that come from? I mean, I think in my own experience, it was just, I didn't even think I was allowed to ask, even though I mm. felt like I, I was definitely producing. I just didn't bother to ask because I didn't want to be shut down and I didn't see any of the other girls doing that or, you know, top liners. And so I was like, sure. okay, I guess I'll just, you know, stay in my lane. And mm. then um, in recent years, I've just been like, no, fuck that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think I just, you know, you have to ask up front. And so I've also started asking for points um, because if the, the producers get a certain, yeah, the, if yeah. the producers are getting points, then, you know, the song doesn't exist without me. So um, yep. I think that I deserve a piece of that because we all know that streaming doesn't make any money, but masters can, you know, double that. So Yeah. Well, right. I mean, the... 
it's a really interesting time right now in the breakdown of how the royalty splits work because uh, for streaming, the master earns four to five times uh, what the, the the composition, the publishing earns. The label is making four to five times more than the publisher's making. So the songwriters are making four to five times less than what the artists are making. Um, but then, you know, and that's why they always say also, though, for songwriters, it's like you're going for the hit because the money is really on radio because that's the one yeah. place that songwriters are still seeing um, a decent royalty amount from the PROs, from your ASCAP or your BMI when the song gets on radio. But other than that, the streaming royalties for songwriters are minuscule. And mm-hmm. um, uh, is that a, another reason why, um, well, I guess when you're in a session, are you trying to go for the hit or the in or kind of trying to get the song that's going to be a single because you know if you're just on a deep cut on the album you're probably not really going to see much money from that is that does that go into the thought process definitely yeah Mm. yes yeah and i mean i think that that's uh what a lot of us i mean it's it's fun to go in um that's it's fun to work on an album with an artist because you can be like all right cool we got the singles like we you know we have the ones that sound like they're going to be singles and then now we can Mm -hmm. play around and do some more kind of experimental artsy stuff and because I think that that is is missing a lot of times, like some some yeah. of the big artists, when you listen to a whole album from them, you can hear that every song the writers went in and were like, we're aiming for radio. Right. And sometimes you just like, <laughs> you know, like you want a little personality, like you want yeah. you want something a little different. So it's nice to be able to play around with that when you're in that kind of situation. But when it's like a one off mm-hmm. thing, like, yeah, what's the point if you're not going to get it on the radio? So mm-hmm. we're always aiming for radio for sure. Mm. Yeah. Um, when when you're in a session and um, is there a um, a structure in terms of how it starts how uh, and like from where you're starting and where you hoping to end? Um, I mean, the goal is usually to get at least just like a skeleton down by the end of the day, okay. um, mm-hmm. so that if you want to come back to it, then then you can. I mean, a lot of times people are again, trying to rush it and just be like, okay, it's done. And then no one ever touches it again. And then I feel like the songs suffer. Um, but usually I'll go in, I'll, hopefully there'll be a track. If there's not, then, I mean, something I do all the time <laughs> and people hate on me for this, but I don't care. Um, I'll be like, all right, what's a great song we can rip off? What's a cool <laughs> song from the seventies? What's a cool song from the eighties? Like, Watch what's out, a, Marvin Gaye's estate is listening just, right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just like yeah. for a vibe to be like, okay, like, you know, rock the Casbah. Like I like yeah. those chords. Let's like take yeah. the chords from that and then like change the drum beat and do a different concept, you know? Um, because I mean, there's only 12 notes in the scale <laughs> mm-hmm. and there's only so many uh, kind of drum patterns and things that are going to work. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, do we want to do a shuffle? Do we want to, you know, and then I'll, I'll pull up references and be like the vibe of this. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you get lucky and it's just like, oh, like I, I have an idea. Sometimes I have ideas in the middle of the night and I'll record them and bring something in and be like, I, you know, I've got a cool thing. Yeah. Um, but usually it's like it'll start with a track. I like to start with a track um, and then find a concept. Mm-hmm. I have a whole list of concepts that I bring in. And then as I'm listening to the track, then I'll think about what it feels like. Um, and then hopefully if I have another co-writer or an artist or someone to bounce stuff back and forth with, then we'll start, you know, I'll make lists of, of words that relate to this title. Hmm. Um, or I'll, if it's, if I'm with an artist and I'll be like, you know, what keeps you up at night? What's going on in your life? Like what are, you know, and um, try to find something real because that's the other thing I feel like, um, you know, if you're not doing straight up party music, which is great. And one of my favorite genres of pop, yeah, yeah. Um, if you're, if you're writing a love song or you're writing a, whatever, an emotional kind of song, I think it's important to have some, reality in there um mm. and a lot of times when there's not like a seed of truth in it i feel like audiences can smell a rat mm. yeah no that's great <clears throat> that's i mean th- man that must be such a tough line to toe because it's like how do you be authentic and you're writing pop but not you know be make it relatable uh universal so so the masses can understand and relate to it but also be authentic and authentic to that artist. Like, how do you, mm-hmm. how do you straddle that line, especially with the artists that you work with? I think it comes down to, I like to use what I call HQ filler. 
when it comes okay. to lyrics, um, which is high quality filler, which is like there are go-to words or phrases that are familiar, that are easy to sing along to, that we mm. we all know and love. Um, and then, you know, like you set up your title or um, you can have an interesting, unique, kind of unusual title. But if if every word in the song is too out there, then you're mm. going to lose your audience. Mm. So you have to keep it digestible and relatable. Um, and then you can like throw in some zingers and then it's like, oh, that's interesting. And I was paying attention already because I could sing along with the other stuff that was easy to understand. Yeah. And also phonetics, I think, is is really important as well. Um, Explain but phonetics. But to keep it... Phonetics um, are the, the way that a word sings, if it sings mm. well. Um, and also how the words fit into the melody. And that's something that I take very seriously too. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. where if, the, if it's the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable, right. <laughs> can't do it. Can't sure. do it. Yeah. And you know, there, there are some artists that do that a lot and that's kind of like um, a unique thing that they do. Like Alanis Morissette yeah. did that a lot. Um, yep. And Katie's done some of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, it drives me crazy personally. And so mm-hmm. I like to make sure that the lyrics that I'm singing are singing the way that I would speak it. You know, mm, yeah, yeah. Um, like I wouldn't say singing in the way I speak it. I would say right. singing the way I speak it. Right. And right. so I want to make sure that the word "speak" is going to fall on the important mm. note, on the money note, or mm. uh, the the play. It's not going to be sped. You're not going to speed by the important word in the phrase if the cadence is too fast or busy. Sure. Um, so that that is important. And so yeah. a lot of times I'll you know. I've been doing a lot of kind of song doctoring recently, which I really enjoy where an artist will bring me a song that's like mostly there, but not mm-hmm. quite. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go through and go through each line and make sure that the emphasis is on the right syllable <laughs> <laughs> and that nice. phonetically everything is gelling and that it it makes sense. And mm-hmm. that the, the tenses are correct if you're talking about, you know, if, who you're talking to, is it a you? And then you refer to it as him, mm-hmm. like keeping the consistency uh, of the story so that sure. when you read it on paper it's like okay i understand what's going on uh, and that's not to say that you can't like get poetic and and kind of cryptic I, I i love stuff like that like i grew up mm-hmm. listening to fiona apple who is one of the most cryptic lyricists ever yep. but um there is a magic that comes to being able to sort of insert your own interpretation of what the artist is saying mm. but in pop music I think it's important to clearly understand what the story is, especially if you have a great story to tell. Yeah. Um, You bring up song doctrine, which I get this question a lot. Um, How does it work when an artist or someone brings you a song and you're doctoring it up? Is that uh, how does the business side of that work? Is it they bring you the song? It's like, okay, well, now I'm touching the song. So we're splitting this equally. Or do they pay you a flat fee and to kind of for your time to do it? Or how, how does that work? Um, usually I'll just, uh, like if it's, it depends on how much I change it. If I'm just like, oh, oh this okay. chorus doesn't work. And then I change the chorus, then I'm going to get a, a bigger percentage. But if I'm just like changing a word here and there, mm-hmm. um, then it would, it would be less. And I, I try to be fair. I don't have like a flat, um, percentage that I'll take for re- rewrites. Gotcha. Um, I like to be fair to the artist because I'm an artist myself and I would yeah. be really annoyed if someone came right. in and changed three words and was like, give me half the song. Right. So. That makes sense. <laughs> Real quick, I want to let you know about DistroKid. Well, I'm sure you already know about DistroKid, but they are partners with Ari's Take, and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all of that. Over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what DistroKid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. DistroKid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that for me at this point is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. 
DistroKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistroKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators. And they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. DistroKid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, DistroKid.com. So speaking of the artist, have you run into an instance where an artist or their manager uh, essentially comes to you saying, we want to cut your song and we want our artist to get a percentage of writing of of the publishing, even though they didn't touch, they didn't have a hand in writing the song. Have you run into that? I personally have not just okay. because I'm, I'm often paired with, with artists who write. Yeah. Um, but I, I know that that happens and yeah. I, I've heard that that happens with a lot of big artists yeah. and um, it's annoying because like the artist is going to get money from touring, from merch, from whatever appearances. Right. So like they're already going to get paid on the song and like the songwriters get so little that I, I don't really think it's fair. But I understand, like, for optics. And so if an artist were to be like, hey, I want a piece of the song, I'd be like, oh, sure, we'll put your name on it. But, like, you're getting 5%. Like, you know? Yeah. Like, if you really were not in the room. But then Mm -hmm. there's some artists that come in and, like, their delivery and their ad-libs, like, if they're, like, a singer-singer, and that kind of changes what the song, what the makeup of the song is. Sure. And, you know, it's just, it's like a case-by-case basis, I'd say. Sure. Yeah, I know that, um, you know, Emily Warren and Justin Tranter and Ross Golan, they started this thing called the Pact last year, which basically they signed this petition, essentially just saying that we're no longer going to give up writing credit to artists because apparently it was happening a lot. Um, and some manager, songwriting managers are speaking out against that as well, saying that, like, you know, a big artist will come in and demand 20 percent of the publishing, even though they didn't have a hand in writing it. So that's an interesting uh, I, I didn't know that it was that prevalent, um, but it's nice to hear that that doesn't happen as much with you because you're typically in the room with the artists who are also writing the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, t- oh, yeah, go ahead. What are you saying? Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, I, I love uh, Justin and and uh, Ross and Emily. Emily. I, yeah. I, there, I have so much respect for them, and I totally agree with them. I think it's just something that I haven't had to deal with mm-hmm. that much. Like, um you know, if if Beyonce comes in and wants to take a percentage, it's, it's hard to say no to. Yeah. So I understand why that would be like frustrating because you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't know if, if Beyonce does that or not. I'm not trying to. I, know yeah, Beyonce. no, I, I know, I don't know. <laughs> um, talk to me about if you could go back um, and step me through how Roar came to be. Katy Perry's Roar. It's I, it's my favorite pop song of the last decade. I, it's like one oh, of the most incredible songs you. ever written. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, tell me how that song came to be. I heard that. And, and it's like, I'm not just full, full transparency, full disclosure. Like, I'm not really a huge pop fan. Like, I don't turn on pop. I don't really listen to pop as frequently as, you know, my friends and family do. But that song was so undeniable so incredible just like i that was on repeat in my car every time i got in it was just like it you just it was such an amazing song and that straddled until like the like yank me in who's like just like not a huge like you know pop aficionado like yeah t- talk to me about that song well um Katie and I had both experienced a lot of um misogyny and um you know, being just being a woman in the industry is not it's not easy. And yeah. so we were sort of commiserating about that. And um, the track was was uh, already done. And, and a lot of the melody was done by Max Martin and, and mm-hmm. Dr. Luke. And um, so just listening to the track, it was like, yeah, this is a triumphant song. It mm-hmm. needs to be it needs to feel victorious. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we could have just gone with a more kind of generic like you can do it song. But yeah. I think Katie and I both had this shared experience um, of dealing with misogyny. Mm. And so, and you know, and so I was like, you know, one of the most iconic feminist songs from the 60s was I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar. Yeah. And so that was obviously the inspiration. And mm-hmm. um, just the word roar paints so many pictures in my head. When I hear the word roar, I think of mm-hmm. tigers, I think of you know the jungle i think of like 
Tarzan and, you know, Um, and it just, it really like is a movie just in Mm -hmm. a word, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I really love a colorful splashy title because then there's just like a whole vocabulary that goes along with that one word. Yeah. Um, It's like a, it's like a theme party, you know, (laughs) it's like, okay, we're throwing a roar party. What does that look like? What are you wearing? What are you, you know, what are the activities? Um, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) And uh, and also the the melody kind of sounded like the Tarzan call that he does uh, in the jungle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so oh, that was great. kind of part I of it, it too. Yeah, nice. I'm I'm really proud of that song. Yeah, and and so many people like the stories that, that fans have told me about mm-hmm. what it got them through mm. range from like you know when I'm at the gym and I don't feel like I can do it to like my daughter had cancer. Like it's crazy. Mm. And that is really why I do this is to yeah. connect with people. Um, and it's, it's really, really powerful to be able to do that on a mass scale. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I want to touch on a little bit. Uh, you mentioned it a couple times, kind of the misogyny in the music industry. Uh, now, you've been in the industry both starting as an artist when you were a teenager um, to as a professional songwriter now. Um, have you noticed a change, a shift? Is it still as prevalent as ever, but masked in a different way, like the not giving uh, you credit where your credit is due and deserved? Talk about kind of how it's come in, in your experiences in that from like, getting started until now and and is there and 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 also like speak to the women that are listening to this and, and that are kind of getting started in the industry. I do think that it, there has been a shift, um, okay. and especially in the rooms with with my collaborators, um, because I work a lot with men um, mm-hmm. whom I love and, and who are very supportive. And so, a lot of producers are now offering points or, or sharing points or um, recognizing what it means to contribute to a track. Not all of them, but um, it's it's a lot better. And also, I think that. With the Me Too movement, I think that on the business side of things that a lot of executives are running scared. And so people are a little more careful about how they talk to you Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. they treat you. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I do think that it has gotten better thanks to the Me Too movement. And Mm -hmm. also, I think people are just, uh, I don't know, I I feel like there's been sort of a a movement as far as just empathy in, in the creative mm-hmm. world. I feel like everyone's in it together. It's gotten mm-hmm. so gnarly <laughs> with the streaming and, you know, nobody's yeah. making the money that they were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, I don't know, I've seen, I've seen a shift for sure. But mm-hmm. when, you know, speaking to the women that are listening, I think that we have to, you have to speak up. And that was really my issue and why I, haven't gotten what I've deserved for so long Mm. is because I, well, I used to not think that I deserved it. I used to stay in my lane and Mm. um, (laughs) I'm just thinking of like the lyrics of Roar right now are are popping in my head. Um, (laughs) Didn't want to rock the boat and make a mess, you know, Uh, (laughs) but you know, you have to speak up and Mm -hmm. um, ask for, ask for what you want. And I mean, that really goes for everything in life, not with, not just with women, but it's like, you know, people hold resentments towards the world for not getting what they feel they deserve. But it's like, did you ask? <laughs> like, sometimes you think that you are entitled to something, but you, you don't speak up and you mm. really have to speak up and, and plead your case. Mm. Um, so I would say just don't be afraid to ask for, for what you want. That's great advice. Um a little bit more broad speaking to kind of the uh, aspiring professional songwriters uh, who maybe want to do what you do, uh, but don't know how to get started, or how to get their foot in the door. What is some advice you would offer to them? You know, I get asked this question a lot and it's, it's hard for me to answer because my story is so unconventional um, mm-hmm. and also 20 years in the making. So things are very different now than they used to be. Sure. Um, but I think, you know, people, publishers are always looking for new talent um, Mm. to exploit. Um, (laughs) And so they they do check their DMs and they are watching online. So I think that, you know, the social media is the window to the world. Mm. That's how you reach people now. 
And mm-hmm. as much as we all want to think that's not the case, that's just the facts. Mm-hmm. So I think having a social presence and posting your work um, and going to, if you're in LA or New York or places where these things happen, um, going to events, it's really hard to do if you're not in LA or New York or Nashville. Um, there are local scenes. And so if you are in a city that is not one of those big ones, um, find your find the local heroes and mm-hmm. Um, you know, get in front of them and play your song, whatever. But I think that sending stuff does work. Um, yeah. And also figuring out artists that, if you want to be a writer, artists that are kind of in your wheelhouse, looking at the credits, seeing who they're working with, seeing who they're distributing through, seeing who their publishers are, and then getting on their radar. Um, mm. I know it, it like sounds impossible, but like I've met all kinds of people online and gotten all kinds of connections through um, social media. So mm. I think that that is worth exploring. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's hard to get a publishing deal if you're, if you're not there yet. And yeah. so I think collaborating is also very important. A lot, of, I mean, that was a, a tough lesson that I had to learn early on because I started out writing by myself. Mm. Um, and I was very protective and I was very precious. I mean, I was also an artist, but, you know, getting into co-writing was like, a, was painful. Because it means that you have to kill your darlings, <laughs> meaning you have something that you love and someone in the room is like, eh, and then you have to be like, oh, how dare you? So it's really like kind of an ego death. Yeah. Um, learning how to collaborate is very important. And the more you collaborate, the more you learn. Mm. And also having another writer on a song means that there's two brains that are invested in getting it home. So um, don't be afraid to collaborate. Don't be an egomaniac about your art. Do what's best for the art. That is like always my mantra because there's mm. plenty of things that I'm like, oh, I like my idea better, but I can see why this is better. This is going to work. Um, um, so I think collaboration is is really important as well. Amazing. That was fantastic. So helpful. So you're starting to you're gonna you're releasing new music um, and under this is your artist project, Bonnie McKee, right? This is the new the new music under your name as the artist. Yeah, funny story. It's not actually new. Um, I made oh. an album back back in the day when I released American Girl. And the years kept passing and I was like, nobody wants this. And then honestly, when I got on TikTok and started posting about other stuff, like no mention of even my artist stuff yet, everyone's like, where's Slay? Where's, where's Forever 21? Where are these songs? Yeah. And it's like given me this new breath of fresh air and hope that I'm like, well, damn, like all this time later, if you still want it, you got it. <laughs> like, I, I would be happy to give that to you. <laughs> yes. So um, I'm I'm just learning how to do like a TikTok music campaign. I really have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm watching some of my, my peers who I've, sure. I've seen get big record deals, get on the radio, playing Lollapalooza, mm-hmm. like doing all this stuff all from releasing music on TikTok. Right. And so um, I'm just learning how to do that. And I'm excited for that. So this is really just like, this album is going to be the songs from the vault that the fans have been asking for for so long. I love it. Yeah. And it's really just, it's going to set up the new album because I, of course I have a new album, you know? Yeah. Of <laughs> um, course. It's great. But I just want to give the fans what they want and, and also get it out of my system. I feel like I've mm. been like pregnant with this project for all these years and I'm ready to release this baby into the world. And I mm. feel like that's going to be a nice feeling of closure for me so that I can move on to the new stuff and not feel like I have this nagging thing in my mm-hmm. in the back of my mind. It's like, what about us? How do you decide what songs are going to be the ones, these old ones? Because you said you've written thousands of songs, but mm-hmm. are these these are the actual like cuts that you, as Bonnie McKee, the artist, have actually recorded. So the, the recordings are finished, or are these ones that you're re-recording? Are you doing the Bonnie's version now, or what's going on with this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they, they were recorded. They were ready to yeah. be released back in the day. And so I've opened them back up, dusted them off, and yeah. I'm updating them a little bit. Cool. Um, but I mean, the, the way that I picked them, I mean, the fans picked them. Wow. I mean, there's all these there's all these fan forums where it'll be like a Lana Del Rey fan forum randomly or like Britney Spears fan forums. And yeah, um, people, I have a few spies in those fan forums that are like, hey, like this song just leaked like all these songs. They've been leaking them and they've been trading Whoa. them and like paying for them and all this. And I'm like, Jesus, guys, like, is it that exciting? But I guess it is. So yeah. they and I and so I asked actually one of my super fans that I've that I've befriended over the years. Um, mm-hmm. she's like a little Gen Z amazing lover. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, what's your, what's your track listing? 
what songs would you want to hear? Yeah. And she gave me, she gave me her list and I was like, okay. And then that was also on the fan forums, exactly the same song. So I'm like, okay, well, they've decided what the album is going to be. So I'm just going to give the people what they want. (laughs) That's so crazy. That is like crowdsourced uh, song picking. And it's like that, that's, you get this immediate instant feedback right now and you can actually just take it to an audience. I mean, that's like, that wasn't really possible 10, 15 years ago, where it's just like, Oh, what song should be on there? And it's just like, they're kind of demanding it and saying, and they get to choose which songs that's, that's really exciting. That must feel great to have, uh, people that are demanding these this music or at least like saying what their favorite songs are so that that helps you kind of give you the confidence to to know like oh i can release these songs and they're going to be there for me yeah and look it's i don't know how robust my fan base is really i feel like a lot of people tune in because they want to hear about my songwriting stuff and i'm Mm -hmm. happy to tell them but um but i don't really care it's just if there are people out there that want to hear it that's enough for me I don't yeah. need to be the biggest pop star in the world to feel satisfied, just like I said, you know. Mm. Um, so it's just important to me that there are people that want to hear it and that it brings them joy. And I that that's what why I do what I do. Yeah. So I mean, and it's scary because these songs are old. And as far as like my peers in the industry, like people know me, people know I've been trying to be an artist for a long time. Mm. And I'm very insecure about it, where I'm just like, mm. oh my God, like is this just so pathetic that I'm putting these old songs out? Like I have a million new ones, but like, why am I, why do I keep dipping into the past? But there's just something in me that's telling me that I need, I need to put this out into the world and it might not do anything at all. And that's totally fine. I just want them to see the light of day because I put a lot of blood, sweat and tears and heart and soul into this. So mm-hmm. whatever I'm doing it, I'm doing the damn I love thing. it. I think, I mean, it's <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's, I think we can all relate to that as having these old songs that we really connect with. And sometimes they just need a release and it just to kind of move on. I mean, I wrote, um, you know, a breakup album from a partner I was with for 11 years. And it was like, I didn't really care what this did for anyone else. I literally needed to release it to release myself emotionally from that time period of my life. And it's just like, I have to put this out. I have to put this album out because... Uh, I need to end that chapter of my life and I need to move forward and I can't move forward sitting with all these songs. And so as long as I can get them out, then I can move forward. And it was cathartic for me. It was a true, truest sense of the word release that I've ever experienced in my life. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly why I want to do it too. Is Mm -hmm. because Yeah, I want to I want to close the chapter on this because it was Mm. kind of like, you know, I had all this momentum with American Girl. Everything was going great, you know. Yep. And then I did like the bombastic thing, but everyone, and then it just kind of went away. And everyone's like, where, but wait, we were on board. Where did you go? Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, it feels kind of unfinished. And so I'm just, I'm ready to, to close that chapter. Who did you release the bombastic? Which distributor did you use to put that out? Do you remember? I think it was TuneCore. Sure. Um, Honestly, I don't know because like I've done a lot of one-off singles and stuff and I'm actually yeah. looking into that now where I'm like, where do I want to put this out through? Like, yeah. I'm not even sure who I, I want to give it to because I know that every distributor has their own sort of mm-hmm. uh, kinks. And well, also- I have a great guy that I compare 17 of the DIY indie distributors I'll send you. You can compare all of them right side by side. I have this oh, chart that I put together, so I'll send it to you. That would be great. <laughs> Thank you. You can make yeah, that yeah, just, decision. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. just figuring it out, but... Um, Yes, yeah, so I really I don't know how to do this in the TikTok era, but I'm excited because I've seen it work, and I mm-hmm. also I love creating the content and I love getting direct feedback from the fans. So yeah, uh, wish me luck on my hey, TikTok journey. All the, all the luck, but I, I think you have a really strong handle on TikTok, and as you know, as someone who's known so well as a songwriter. Um, you also have a really strong handle on who you are as an artist and as a storyteller. And that, you know, I met a lot of behind the scenes songwriters who kind of do the work as a songwriter. But that's what I think is one of the most interesting things about you is like, you have defined yourself as an artist in the truest sense that that is not just as in just like, this is the album cycle. And this is my character that I'm embodying for this. But it comes across your personality, and um, all of that within all of the videos that you create. And that's why like, at the why we started there is why it made a lot of sense to me that you now are kind of 
dipping your toes into directing and writing and acting in this film realm. Um, and uh, because you're you're a storyteller, whether it's through your songwriting or your TikToks or now this this short film, and but you're a storyteller from your perspective, which is unique. And that's, you know, it makes you're a songwriter and a storyteller and an artist that I see a through line through everything. So it's like knowing the Bonnie Key songs that are out there, whether they're Katy Perry or Tao Cruz or Kesha or Britney Spears or whomever, there's there's a sound, there's a style, there's there's an essence that that shines through of Bonnie McKee. But then listening to your own artist songs is like, oh, yeah, that's I mean, very clearly you American girl. It's just like is it's right in line with that catalog. That's why I'm loving the Spotify playlist because it's like, oh, yeah, this is all Bonnie McKee. It all sounds like Bonnie McKee. And then seeing your TikTok, which is so interesting. This is a thing that a lot of artists struggle with is they don't know how to make everything cohesive. And, you know, you'll like listen to the music and then you see their Instagram or their TikTok and it's all over the place and they don't have any definition or understanding of who they are. And I think because of just your history through the industry and now having so many experiences, you really have a strong handle on who you are as an artist and that really shines through. So I think that's why people are gravitating towards you and towards all of this uh, so much more naturally now. Thank you so much. Yeah, I one of the most difficult parts about just being a songwriter is that I'm a really visual artist. Mm. And so I really had no say in what the music video would look like and the artwork and any of that. And that's like right. a big part of my artistry. And that's also why I got into directing where I was like, I, you know, I want to make pictures. <laughs> I want to, yeah. I want to paint a picture. I want to tell a story mm. through, through the visuals as well. Um, so yeah, being, an, I don't know. And before the pandemic, I was kind of um, going around talking to different labels about um, the new album that I've, that I've made. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of people say to me, people that I respect and people that I know love me and I've known for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I would walk in and be like, here's an amazing album on a silver platter. Here's all the artwork that's already done. I just want to do like a whatever. And they would, and they sat me down and were like, you still want to be an artist? You're still, you're still trying to be an artist. Mm. I was like, Oh. I'll just go jump off a cliff real quick. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. And, and the thing is, like, uh, I, I, it's not a choice. Yeah. Like, I, I yeah. am an artist, whether I like it or not. I wish yeah. that I could get rid of the bug that I have to mm. perform and mm. be front facing, but that's just who I am. And so I think mm-hmm. that I tried to sort of repress that for a lot of years, and I was miserable. I was so mm. depressed. And so now that I'm, I'm like kind of, kind of coming into my own again, I'm just like. I'm ready to do it, and I don't really care if anybody. I mean, of course, I want people to like it, but yeah, I don't. I don't care if my industry peers or whatever believe mm-hmm. or not, because I do. I mean, music isn't merely what we do; it's who we are, and at the core of that, it's you know. I, having such success as a songwriter, but also understanding yourself enough to know that you know. Your definition, like you said, of of, hap- of success is happiness and, and understanding and, and feeling um, at ease with all of this. And so knowing yourself enough that it's like you're not just going to be content writing songs for other people and to have that identity um, as an artist. It's like you said, it it is who you are. It's never going to leave whether uh, a suit in an office understands that or not doesn't matter because mm-hmm. you're an artist and that's just how it is and will always be. Yeah. And one of one thing that I, that I realized when I was really kind of miserable, just being a songwriter, because I was miserable for a long time Mm, mm. was that I was making success, my higher power. And that is a really dangerous place to be Mm. because I have no control over whether something is successful. I have no control over whether the industry wants me or the fans react. I, I, that's out of my hands. So the most important thing to me and being successful in the new music industry is enjoying the process mm. and not getting caught up in the results and not, yes. not being devastated if everything doesn't go my way because that's out of my hands. Ah, uh, woo! That's, uh, yeah. that's, that, I just went to church. That's great. That was fantastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, Bonnie, this has been incredible. It's so helpful. And I know the the songwriters that are listening to this are just so grateful for your wisdom and for dropping so many gems that you you have. Um, I have one final question that I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? <clears throat> what it means to me to make it in the new music business is to be... I just want to enjoy myself. Hmm. I just want to, I want to find joy in my work. Um, and I think that that is more available to me now than it ever was hmm. because through social media and TikTok and things like that, all the tools that I have at my disposal, I have a direct line to my audience and that makes me happy. So I would say that my idea of winning is just being able to enjoy myself and staying out of the rat race. Bye, Mickey. Thank you so much. This is great. Thank you. Today's episode was edited by Maxton Hunter, theme music by Brassroots District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. Episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com